0: If you've been following along, we're in the John's first letter. So in 1 John, we're in chapter 2, and our text today is verses 15 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is of the world. The world is passing away and also it's lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your word. We rejoice in the fact that we know you as your children, as the brothers, as the brethren, as your redeemed, Brothers and sisters of Christ, we know you and we can rejoice in that. We are gonna to study today, we're gonna to look and see what you have to say about worldliness in the world and, and where we are and how that compares to you and what we're to do. And so Father, we pray that our hearts are, are clean and that we've repented of our sin and we come longingly and expectantly to meet you here to worship as we've begun to worship in song and in the word. And, and Father, as we, as we worship together now, through an explanation of your word to us, your speaking to our heart. And Father, this morning I pray that you just set me aside, that physically words can come out of my mouth, but we know that your spirit will take those words to each person in this room, each person that hears these words. Father, I pray that your spirit is taking those words to their heart and they'll hear what you have to say to them. Not anything that I have to say, not anything that I have to do. I thank you for this opportunity, but Father, we just are grateful to be able to turn over this preaching and this word to you and your spirit so that it can inhabit the hearts of the believers and the non-believers that hear it even today. So Father, we give this all to you for your honor and your glory. And we pray this in the name and the authority of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. You can be seated. I'm Dan Carter. I'm one of the elders here at Bull Street Baptist Church, and it's my privilege and honor today to be able to bring the word to you. And we ask your continued patience as we go along. It's a little hard sometimes to go back and forth from one pastor to another hearing different words, but there's different styles, there's different, different ways that the word is brought. But the one thing that, that continues through, this is God's word. That's being proclaimed from the pulpit. And that's what we're, that's what we're bound to. And we're, we're continuing right through the word of God. We're not jumping around and we're not trying to hit and, hit and pick and, and find the good things. We're just saying, here's what God says and this is what it means to us. And this is how we can apply it to our life. And that's our prayer and that's what we continue to strive to do as we go forward with, with different men at different times, but it's, it's God's word. And it's continue along there. And so the styles may be different, but it's God's word. And we pray that you'll be enriched by that. We pray that you'll go out of here today thinking, hmm, I never thought of that. Or I did think of that, but I don't want to think about it again because it hurts too much. Or this is great. Good news that needs to be shared. All of those things are wrapped up in God's word because it's so deep and it's so it's so. It's so rich that we have that. So it's my privilege today to be able to come to you with 2 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. So our text today contains one command and about three arguments that support this command that we're to do. The commandment is, don't love the world or the things of the world, okay? It's right there, right there in verse 15. And John didn't say, don't love the world too much. He said, don't love the world or the things of the world, okay? And our first incentive is if you love the world, you don't love God, okay? So if you love God, you're not gonna love the world. Um, The second incentive would be that if you love the world, you're going to perish with that because the world is going to pass away and the the things of the world will pass away. And if that's what you are and that's where you're devoted your time, that's ultimately what you're looking for, then you will pass away also. But the third incentive, the third argument is if you love God instead of the world, the word of God, you will abide with God forever. So our main point, do not love the world, but love the Father. And like I said, John says, don't He didn't say, don't love the world too much or love God more than you love the world. It's a pretty good straight commandment from God. And this is John's words, but God breathed these words through John. So this is God speaking to you saying, don't love the world, love me. It's a pretty straight command. And so it's easy to listen to and it's easy to read, but it's not always easy to do. And why is that? We can see the world around us. We can see our attitudes. We can see the things going on here. We can see the present, and we don't always see the Father, okay? We, we experience the Father. As believers, we experience God. We are of one with that, that spirit, but we don't see eternity. We don't see these things, so it's easier for us to fall into the worldliness rather than the things of God sometimes. John recognizes this danger. So he commands us not to love the world, and he gives us a couple reasons why we shouldn't. That the world is opposed to the father and the world is passing away, okay? So when God gives us a command, he gives us the grace to be able to obey that command. God's not gonna call us to do something and then not equip us to be able to do that. The very thought of salvation came to us and God gave us the ability to believe and to know him there. It's everything we have comes from God. And so when he calls us to command us to love him and not love the world, we have that ability through his strength and his guidance, okay? So John mentions in these, just in these verses, he mentions the world six times in these verses. What are we talking about here? What do we, what is John talking about when he says the world in this situation? Is he talking about the created world that we see, the things of the world that we see? No, no, God created everything and he said what? He saw that it was good. Everything that God has created is good. Um, Is it the people that inhabit the world? All of the the ones we see around us, the world and the people? No, God loves the world. God so loved the world he gave his son. So it's not things. F.F. Bruce says it this way, world or worldliness does not lie in the things we do or the places we frequent. It lies in the human heart, in the set of human affections and attitudes. So that's where we are. The worldliness we're talking about is an attitude and our thoughts, how we, how we interact with the things of God and our attitudes towards them. So as we talk about the world today, it's not the things, but it's our attitudes and how we deal with that. So we'll keep that in mind. So. We've got to be able to get this. The whole passage basically says, if we relate to what, if we love God, we're not gonna love the world, but how we relate to what God made, that's what we're talking about with the worldliness. How do we, how was our attitude? How do we relate to these things that we have, the relationships we have, the thoughts and the processes? That's where we're going, how we treat the stuff that God gave, not the stuff itself, but how we treat it. We can't love the world. If we have a, a love of the world, we view this is the ultimate, this is it, this is what will satisfy us, this is what we have, that's a love of the world. But if we're, we're resting in the father, utilizing the things he gets, enjoying the things he provides, but not finding our satisfaction in them. That's, that's what we're gonna be talking about all day. So how do we do this? How do we not love this world? What's one way to do that? and is to run away from the world, right? To hide from it. It basically has a little fancy term called asceticism. <laughs> to, to get away from the material world, to do nothing, have nothing to do with anything material or the world because it's bad. God created it as good. It's not the things of the world. It's how we react to them. So running off to a monastery, setting ourselves aside, withdrawing from the world so we're not of the world, that's not the answer. That's not, that's not what we do. Um, you know, we get, you see isolationism, you see the Amish people pull back from everything of the world and it's not the world that's the problem. It's our attitude and how we react to it, okay? Paul wrote in Colossians that these outside rules that we put on, they just don't work. It's not a matter of rules, it's a matter of the heart and how we deal with it. So that's what we're looking at. What's captured your heart, the world or God? So we know that we're not called out of the world because in the words of Jesus himself, in his, in his high priestly prayer, God, it, Jesus was on the way to the cross basically and he took the time out to pray for us. And John chapter 17 is, is one of my favorite places in the Bible. Entire, the entire chapter where Jesus is praying for us. But in verses 14 to 18, Jesus kind of says, excuse me, Jesus doesn't kind of say, Jesus says, I have given them your word, speaking about us. I have given them your word, talking to the Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So Jesus sends us into the world. We're not of the world, but we're in among it. And that's where we belong. But we are God's people, but we're not of the world, but that's where we are sent. So we can't just pull ourselves back We can't just hide or do anything. So we've got to find out where we are. We've got to find out what we're we're up against here. So John gives us examples of this worldliness and and we see those in chapter and verse 16. For all that is in the world, we see the lust of the flesh or desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Three examples we're giving here of the temptations that we'll face. These are, this is, these are three areas that we will face the temptation to, to slide into a, a love of the world rather than relying on the love of the Father. So this lust or desire, the word John uses, the Greek word is epithumia. Epithumia is the word desire or lust, and it's an intense desire for some particular thing. We would, we would call that a yearning or a lust or a strong desire for a particular thing. And that's what he's talking about here. So it's not simply a preference, uh, we, like, we like this better than this. It's not a like, it's a desire, a burning desire, a yearning for this, for this, and that's what we're talking about, this lust or desire of the flesh is a burning desire to substitute God for some cheap thing from the world. So our lust of the flesh we want to talk about is one of the examples of the temptations we'll face. That's a legitimate desire that we have, but it's taken out of context, okay? So things that are perfectly properly, God given. God has given to us as men, we have certain urges, we have hungers. And to satisfy those things are not wrong. But the flesh within us, that fleshly propensity within us, the broken world that still hangs on to us, tells we take that part, we take that what God has given, and then we add something to it, and we go beyond and beyond and beyond. So it it becomes more and more. All right, God's made us in our bodies to have a hunger for food. And thankfully, he's given us a taste for food too. We can enjoy eating. We enjoy a taste, we enjoy the sensation, we enjoy the, the, the gathering together often of that. So, having a hunger for food, having a desire for food is not, not a problem. It's not a, a, a lust or desire of the flesh. But we as broken people can take that a little further. We have to go to that special food that we want or this delicacy or, or we tend towards gluttony. If a little's good, a lot's better. That's just, that's just the way we're wired. So we've got to be guard against that. Um, the softest, most flavorful, the best food that, that money can buy or the, the, the whatever I want to be able to have, not just to be satisfied in, in, our, in our satisfaction, but to take that to a further level. Um, we have a need as humans, we have a basic need of shelter. We need a place to live, okay? We need a place that'll keep us dry, that'll provide for our needs that we can live in. That's not a bad thing. Having, having a desire for and satisfying the desire of having somewhere to live, not a bad thing. But when we take that to the next level, when we desire that the legitimate desire taken out of context, we have to have the biggest or the best, or what does that shelter say about us? It says nothing about us actually. But what does that shelter say about us? How can, we, how can we act a little bit more? This constant craving for more ease, more luxury, more, more, more. This is what we're talking about with the, the lusts of the flesh or desires of the flesh. Um, let's see, if you want a little more detail on, on what desires of the flesh are. Sorry. Let's see what what does God have to say about that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying drunkenness carousing and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God so that's the kind of thing we're talking about the love of the world the lust of the flesh so you're probably sitting thinking oh I don't do any of those things so I'm good But be careful Okay. Be careful. There are, there are measures of this and the devil is very good at deceiving you into, into thinking that yes, I'm not a murderer. So I'm good. No, that's not, that's not the bar. That's not what we're measuring here. But like he says in Titus to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's what we're called to do. Deny ungodliness and worldly desires to move forward with that. So what does it mean by the lust of the eye? Okay. It's not the goods. Remember that, we're talking about the world. It's not the goods or the things, it's our attitude towards them. So the lust of the eye is that greed that's never satisfied. We want more, more, more. The results of this is keeping up with the Joneses. Well, we see what they have. I've got to at least have that to to at least equal them. Or I can, I can one-up them, I can go forward with them. I've got, a, I've got a better phone than they have. I have a better house than they have. I have a faster car. I have a whatever, whatever. You fill in the blank, the lust of the eyes, things you see out that other people have. That's where the covetousness really comes in. It's, being able, it's seeing something else and wanting more. Wanting more than God has provided for you at this time. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like sin? Wanting more than God has given us. God has a perfect plan for each one of us. His will and his timing is perfect. And yet we often want to just say, thank you God for these gifts. I'm gonna go show you how I can make them better and make them more perfect. And that's kind of where this lust of the eyes comes from. Expecting satisfaction to follow acquisition. Okay, so all these things we kind of see the beauty that God has given us and we take it to a vulgar level. That's where you get idolatry, pornography, all these kind of things. Covetousness of something else or somebody else's things that we have and that's just outright idolatry. Okay, so we expect this satisfaction. It's our attitude towards these things that we see and know that we expect fulfillment. If I can just get that raise, if I can just get that next house that has the extra bathroom in it. If I can just impress these people with that bigger car, that whatever, you can fill in the blank. We could be here all day filling in those kind of blanks, I'm sure, but we expect satisfaction from that. And what do we find all the time when we attain that next best thing? We find no satisfaction from the world. Our only satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. Our only satisfaction is in the perfectness of God so we're never gonna be satisfied with the world. So we're always gonna want something else, always gonna want something more. That's what John is warning against right here. So we have this lust of the eye, flesh and these lust of the eyes, these things we wanna get and go forward. Then he also mentions the third temptation, third type of praise here and basically pride of life. This is the desire to awaken envy or adulation in somebody else. This is where we are drawing our our satisfaction from others and not from God, okay? Um, we, We wanna create a little bit of envy. We wanna be to raise ourselves up according to other people. This is when we use our measuring rod, our measuring stick is somebody else, not Jesus. When we measure ourselves against somebody else, We can always find a way to make ourselves a little taller, a little bigger. Um, If we can get a little jealousy in the hearts of somebody else, that's great. Um, Give us a little pleasure to do this to somebody else. Um, Prides of life fall into the categories of my desire to be known by men. Yes, I wanna be up front. I wanna be exalted by men. I wanna be known by men. I wanna be praised by men. My desire is to be praised by man, okay? To earn that praise. But that brings us back to where Satan is. And you don't want to be compared to Satan normally. But Satan did what? He wanted to be as God or even better. He wanted to be known as God. He wanted to be worshipped. And so when we try to get the adulation of men, we try to get the pride of life. We try to put ourselves up so that men praise us. We're putting ourselves in the place of God. If you're putting yourself in the place of God, you are not loving God. So that just kind of shows how this world, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. It comes down to really a desire to be worshiped by man. How empty, how empty to be desire to be worshiped by, by fellow men, by fellow creatures. Just let that set and ponder a little bit. So what's our measuring rod? Is it Jesus Christ or others? Do we looking around thinking how, how well we've done? going along? No. So God does not allow us to usurp his glory for our own without consequences of it. And you ask, are there examples of that in the Bible? In Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 to 30 say, this is Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel has come to him and interpreted his dream and told him exactly what would happen. Watch out, this is what your dream means. You're gonna do this, this, and this, and this is gonna happen. And Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, okay. I believe you for a while. And then verse, and in verse 20, um, 29, we see 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty. And then while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. So there wasn't a long time of what's gonna happen on that consequence. Nebuchadnezzar stepped up and said, look what I've done. Is this not my magic? And he knew. What was going to happen? Daniel had already come to him and told him, this is what you dream. You've dreamed this. It's prophesied to you. You're going to stand up and take God's glory and God's going to take it all away from you. And we know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It's not just a matter of everything was taken away from him. He's out in the field eating grass like an animal, okay? So hopefully that won't happen to you. But this is the temptation. This is what, you're, this is what we're guarding against. God does not deal with this well, okay? God deserves every bit of praise there is, okay? Where were you when the world was created? Where were you when the stars were put into place? Where were you when the tide was told, come this far and stop? Nowhere, it's not of you. God is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship and everything about us. He's worthy of that. So he's, it's, he can be just and jealous God of wanting all the praise and glory because he is worthy of it all and we're not. So when we try to take that glory, that's what we're talking about in this pride of life. And that's a tough thing. So these temptations are all around us. This the lust of the flesh or a lust of the eyes, kind of private things or this pride of life, which we, we, we participate in with other people. They're all around us. And if you don't believe that, just look at any kind of media and just watch the advertisements. Just look at the ads in the newspaper Online, on TV, whatever, whatever, whatever media you take in, look at the advertisements and tell me that that we're not being bombarded with these temptations all the time. A newer this, a better this. this eat this, drink this, do this, and you'll be whatever. And um, it's empty. It's all empty praise right there. So it's our attitude about this worldly sin. How do we perceive the things of God, and how do we? deal with the things that God has made? How do we work with other people? How do we take that in? Do we take it in for God's glory? Are we working to serve other people? Or are we working to be elevated for ourselves? So how do we get away from that? How do we not dick in the world? Well, we can look there again that what God has has said, examples that God has given. The early church in Acts in the second chapter of Acts verses 42 to 43 in the early church they they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and the many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles that is how they were combating worldliness being in the word being in good teaching, having fellowship with one another, exalting one another, lifting up, praising God, filling your heart with the things of God and not the things of the world. That's one of the ways it worked then because the numbers were added to them, the church was growing, there was an awe among them and it works today. It's the same things work today. We have this commandment, love not the world and the things of the world. And we need to to move forward because one of the first arguments that Paul, John makes according to why we're to do this, other than, <laughs> other than the simple fact that God has commanded us to love him and not the world and the things of the world. One of the arguments that he makes for that is that if you, love the, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't have two loves. And we're talking about a consuming love. Love. We're not talking about a a preference or a like or or knowing people, but we're talking about that thing that you place the ultimate prize on, the ultimateness. That's the love. Do you you ultimately favor God or do you ultimately favor the things of the world? So you can't love the world and love God at the same time. Um, The love for the world pushes the love of God out of our life. So Jesus even said, you can't serve two masters at once for you either will hate the one or love the other, will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and money is the example, basically he was given in Matthew chapter six, but you can't have two masters. So that's pretty clear. You can't have two masters, which one, Where where are you gonna lay, where are you going forward? So don't love the world, that's going to put you in a class of God haters, okay? If you love the world, the love of God, the Father's not in you. You don't love God, you hate God. You're going to be put in that group, and you don't want to be in that group. You don't need to be in that group. That's not where you need to be. So that's the first reason John says not to love the world. You can't have a love of God and a love of the world together. So then in verse 16, he comes to support this a little further. And we've talked about that. We've talked about the examples of the temptation in the middle there. But if you take verse 16 and you take out those center three phrases that we've talked about that describe what worldliness is, if you just take those out, then verse 16 will read, for all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. As written, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. But if you take those descriptive phrases out, the simple sentence says, for, for all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. So there you go. It, it's, you, if you love the things of the world, if you have those attitudes, if you love that attitude, if you fall into that worldliness, if that's what you're following, then you're not following God because the things of the world are not from God. You can't, you can't love God and love the things that are not of him, okay? So John could have stopped right here. John could have rested his case and made a very good argument for why we're not to love the world and not to go forward. But he continues a little bit further and just to let you know, it's foolishness to love the world. Not just because it pushes out your love of the Father and you can't have the two together, but the world is going to pass away. These worldly attitudes, this sin, remember this world is this worldliness. It's the sin, our attitude towards these things. It's our our broken, the broken world breaking in. It's our fleshly attitudes. That's what we're talking about in the world. Those things are going to pass away and they'll pass away and be gone. The lusts of the world, the flesh of the world, all these things are going to be passed along. So If you were looking in not a bad way, not a lustful way, if you were looking to invest your money and you want to make more money, typically people invest money in things. If they're looking for an investment, they'd like to get a return on their investment, a positive return on their investment. Would you invest in a company that is no good? Would you invest in a company that you know is about to go out of business? No. I mean, if Blockbuster came back and said, we're looking for investors, we've got this great plan, we can put all these recorded media in a room and you could come borrow one and bring it back, we need money to get this underway, you'd probably, sorry, young people are looking at me, Blockbuster? <laughs> 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 we'll get some old, older person to explain it to you later. What a videotape is and how you could borrow them in the whole nine yards. Put it this way: if somebody was asking you to invest in a company that was no good, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't throw your money away. You wouldn't throw your time away. So that's John's next reason: the world is passing away. It's going to be gone. Don't invest your time and don't put your heart in that. Don't don't look for things that are going to be gone have an eternal perspective, okay? In 16 billion, 730 million years from now, is it gonna matter what size house you have? Is it gonna matter what position you have at work? Is it gonna matter whether you are broke and destitute today? Or is it gonna matter where where you look? Is it gonna matter that you are worried about what people think about you? 16,730,000,000 years from now is a long time away. But the things of God will still be there. God himself will still be there. And if you're a child of God, you will abide in him and live with him that long. The things of the world will be gone and pushed away, but the things of God remain, the fullness of God remains. So we have this desire to know God, but we allow other desires to fill that up. God created us, Jonathan Edwards says, God created us with this great capacity to love and desire something. And we let the world fill that up and our worldly attitudes fill that up so much, but God would not have created us with this giant capacity to take in and and have yearnings and have desire for love if he wasn't gonna fill it himself with himself. So God designed us to take in and be filled with his glory, to be filled with the love of him that we will never fully comprehend the love and the depth and the mercy and the holiness and the perfectness of God. We'll have eternity to spend worshiping God with no sin in our life and we'll still never be able to comprehend the depth of God. That is what we have. We have a desire to love that much but it's a desire to love God that much, not not to let the world fill in just a portion of that. So we need to guard against that. We need to watch against that. And so we have to be careful because the world is gonna pass away. But let's don't dwell on the negative side of this. The negative side, if you're you're living in the world, you're gonna pass away with the world. What if we abide in God? What if we live in God and God abides in us, we will live forever. We'll go forward, it's fantastic. Last week, our message ended up a couple of verses last week. Verse 12 and 13, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And I have written to you children because you know the father. As believers, you know the father. You have eternity with the Father, okay? We have that in our hearts. Don't let this world and our attitudes now corrupt that. We are saved and will always be saved. So we're looking forward to that. That's the next example. Why, why love God and not the Father? Because when we abide in the Father and love the Father, we will remain, okay? Um, it says so in the second part of verse 17, um, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Okay, the opposite of loving the world is not just loving God, but it's also doing the will of God. So loving the Father and doing the will of the Father are the same thing. John says in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Boom. Pretty straightforward. John, I like old John. He's hard hard to... Hard to Hard to misinterpret. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what God says, okay? Pretty straightforward. And we'll see in a couple of weeks here, first John chapter five, verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. There we go. There's not a lot of question here. Loving the father in verse 14, doing the will of God. These are the same things. If you love God, you will love what he wills. Okay, it's empty to say, I love God, but I don't love the things that God loves. So it just doesn't work that way. If you love the world, you will perish with the world. But if you don't love the world, you love God, you will do his will and remain forever. Okay, now we're not naive enough to say that, well, it's just automatic and we'll always do the will of God as as his children. We don't, we're tempted, we see those temptations, they come on us, we're weak and we break, but we have, the ability to repent of our sin, to be able to turn back as his children, God says, you will live and abide in me forever. So we're able to recognize sin, stop the sin, repent of it, turn away from it, ask forgiveness and the blood of Christ has already paid for that sin and it's removed. God doesn't just cover our sins, they're removed. And the father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. We're not paying for those sins anymore. Christ has paid for them and they're gone. We don't have to deal with the guilt, and it's not a, there's not a veil here. There's not a, oh, yes, you're saved, but I remember all those things you did too. Nope, it's not removed. God doesn't deal with that. He can't deal with sin, so it's removed and paid for by Christ, so we're, we're good. And it sounds simple. Will you love the Father, or will you love the world? But we have this Satan lurking lurking like a lion, just prowling around the world to see who he can devour. And Satan is there to help you turn away from God and slide the other way. Satan is looking for somebody to devour. He can't, he lies to himself. Satan is the great deceiver. And even today, I told the senior adults this this week, even today, Satan is lying to himself saying, there's gonna be a battle at the end, I might win. I still might come out ahead of this. He still lies to himself and he believes his own lies. Satan is a great deceiver. Satan is defeated, he is done, okay? But he wants to take as many people, he wants to distract as many people, he wants to keep believers from worshiping God. He wants to take what he can take and do what he can do with the misguided thought that one day he can win. If he gets enough believers on his side, he's done. But he still lies to himself enough and believes that. So we just need to make sure that we're not falling into that same pattern. What about Eve in the garden? Eve was tempted. She was tempted with this tree that had food on it, right? Good food. Satan kind of sidled up alongside of her and she's kind of looking at this tree going, we're not supposed to eat of this tree, but that stuff looks good. I'll bet, that, I'll bet the fruit of this tree is, is good stuff. And the devil allowed that, you know, you want to think that way? Yes, here, let me prove to you. Oh, this is good food. So the lust of the flesh, she wanted not all the perfect food that God had created for them in the garden. Everywhere they turned, there was perfect food in the garden for them. But they kept looking back at that one, that one fruit back there. It's probably even better than what you've given me here. You've given me perfection in the garden, God, but what are you hiding on that fruit, that lust of the flesh? I want something a little bit more. It looked good to eat. The fruit was pleasant in her eyes. She saw how pretty it was, it's nice. I can't have it, I want it. That's forbidden fruit, and that's pretty much the example of forbidden fruit. I've got everything I need right here in the garden, and but I want that one that you said I can't have. And so what was the final temptation? What was the final straw that, the, that Satan used for, with Eve in the garden? There, there's this thing you want that's good for you. you it looks good. You want more. It's going to make you more. Pride of life. Eat that and you'll be like God, <laughs> you'll know things, you know. That's why God didn't want you to have that, He didn't want you to be like Him. You can tempt, tempt her into being like God. So, those three temptations we talked about, those categories, the devil uses those pretty good. You use it from the very beginning, Cron Eve. What about Jesus? Jesus in the de- and preparing for this time, Jesus came, became fully man. Went into the desert for 40 days, fasted for 40 days preparing. Now, a lot of you in here have fasted before. Some of you have fasted for days. Some of you do good at that. Some of us can fast for 20 minutes and feel like we're doing pretty good too. 40 days, Jesus was at a breaking point. He was at his physical weakness. He was weak in the body. He was fully man, his fully man, he was weak. 40 days going on the devil came to him. And what was the devil's first temptation that's recorded was a lust of the flesh. Turn these rocks, turn these stones into bread. You need bread. You want bread. You're hungry. Turn that into something else. You know, let me show you these kingdoms. Let me show you what I can offer you, these kingdoms of the world. (laughs) The devil lying again, thinking he had something he could offer. He didn't have it. He couldn't even offer it because it wasn't his. I'll offer it to Jesus. Get something else, something you... You don't have now you want and and then he went straight to the pride of life throw yourself down you're God he'll take care of you there'll be a legion of angels angels'll catch you before you hit the ground show all these people just how how good you are and Christ had no need to show anybody who he was he is God and yet the devil wanted to tempt that same way so if if the devil can do that and the in 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 the garden to Eve. He can do that in the desert to Jesus. He can use these three types of sin to tempt us to get us distracted away from God going forward. So don't answer out loud. What's a forbidden fruit for you today? What in your life, what are you thinking of? What comes to mind right away? Forbidden fruit. What are you wanting that you can't have? What are you wanting that you're not supposed to have? What are you wanting that's there? What would you replace the glory of God with? What will make you satisfied? What will go good with you, okay? Think about that. And it happens to everybody, it happens forward. So if you're being honest with yourself, which we'd like to ask you to do, there's two possibilities. What if you don't, what if you're sitting here today and you really don't feel a lot like loving God? Okay? This is an individual question. You're here, you're here, you're in church, that's good, but what if you really just don't feel a desire to love God very strongly? What does that mean? Okay? If you're sitting here and you just, I know I'm supposed to love God, those words sound good, Everything's, everything sounds right. What does that mean? It means one of two things. Um, one, one, one thing it can mean is you're not born again. You're not a believer. You're not a child of God. There's fancy words for it. You could be a cultural Christian or a hereditary Christian. You could think you're a Christian. You might want to just act like one. I've, I've come into church. I'm going, I'm, I don't do the bad things. I do the good. Th- you can act like a Christian. You may think you are just because you were born in a house full of them. Okay, You were raised up as Christian, so you must be Christian. You, you could be that. If you don't feel a, a need, you don't feel a love of God, you don't feel a need to love God, if you don't feel that God is worthy of all everything that you have, it may be because you're not saved, that you're not born again, and you won't feel that. But there's a way around that. Salvation is free. Salvation, we can talk about that. If, you're, if you feel moved for that, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the gospel is a free gift from God. You can have that feeling. But that may be one of the reasons, is you may not, you may not feel it yet. Um, Henry Martin, Henry Martin was a brilliant missionary. He was a translator, um, lived in the last century. He looked at his conversion four years after his conversion, and he said these words, the work is real. I can no more doubt it than I can my own existence. The whole current of my desires is altered. I am walking away. I am walking quite another way, though I, ins- though incessantly stumbling on the way. I'm able to look back on his conversion and say, "There is no doubt I am changed. I am God." You need to be able to look back at your life and know when you were changed. We don't all get knocked off of a horse and get blinded by scales in our eyes, so we don't always know when we're saved that quickly, like Paul. But you know that you've been changed and you'll know that. So then you fall into the second category. If you are a believer and you're just not quite feeling it today, I just don't feel like I need to love God and go forward, then your love is cooled and it's weak. Okay, how do you get out of that? You get out of that the same way that a non-believer does, the gospel message, preaching to yourself, God's word assures you of that. Um, Direct your heart to seek God, to seek the things of God, to recognize the sin in your life, to turn away from it, to forsake these sins and and turn to grace. God loves us and we stumble all the time. And when our hearts are cooled and we just don't feel that strong love of God, as believers, we need to recognize that it's sin in our life. And there's a way past that, just like John said last week you're believers, you're saved, you're redeemed, act like it, okay? Access that forgiveness that Jesus Christ paid for your sin. Don't hold on to that guilt. Don't hold on to that sin. Um, That same spirit that, that saves us is the one that brings us back to life. So whether you're in one of those two groups, you don't love God because you don't know God or you you know God, but you're just kind of weak and you're tired and your love's not strong or you came here today because you wanted to meet with God, that you expectantly came to meet with God. You're here full of love with God. We need to see what is God saying to us today? We'll wrap this up. We can't love our sin and love God. There's no gray area there. Engineers love this, can't love God and love your sin. One of the two, if you're in love with your sin, you're in love with your attitudes, then you're not in love with God. So you can't have it both ways. So we get examples, just hanging out together is not enough. Just being in church, not enough. Just feeling good once a week or however often you wanna come, not enough. We have to be strongly in the word. You have to strongly be looking to that. We say we have two choices to make. Those two choices are, to love God or love the world. But we have two choices to make. If we choose to love God, we also have to choose to maintain that love. So we have work to do. We have maintenance work to do going forward with that. We're either gonna scatter or we're gonna build. We're gonna scatter or we're gonna build. So. If you're looking for things that will make you feel good now, if you're looking to to seek the glory of somebody else, if you're waiting for somebody else to look at you and say, oh, he's a good guy. If you're looking for those kind of things, you're scattering, you're dividing. If you're walking in Christ and the things that Christ loves is important to you, if a cup of cold water given in his name is more valuable than another dollar in the bank, that's where you wanna be. Okay, are you looking for the things of God? Are you working for those things of God? Are you allowing God to work through you so that you love him? Okay, so the will of God is that we abide in Christ and we want to abide in Christ. So look at what you do. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your effort? How much of what you have do you attribute to Jesus? And how much of what you have do you attribute to yourself? to what you've built up, to what you've gone, to what you've gotten? How much energy do you spend on the things of God? Those are the quiet time questions I get to ask you this. So I trust that a few of you this week, as you ponder these today and the next couple days, as you ponder this message, what is God telling you? I trust that a few of you are going to be uncomfortable. I would hope that a few of you are uncomfortable, that you're going, hmm, I didn't realize that what I'm really doing is is loving worldliness and not loving God. So I hope that God is able to use this and poke you a little bit because he's done to me all week long. So it's only fair that he do that to you. You hear preachers say that all the time. It is so true when you're immersed in this text, you're immersed in this word. We spend a lot of time in this word and God is able to speak to you very clearly and very often. So he said some things to me this week that I'm going to have to work on that I don't have to think about a little bit and have to work through. And to be transparent, it's the pride of life for me. So I have to work on that. And you may have to work on that. You may have to work on one of the other areas that thing. but work on these things, work on these things and choose to love God, choose to maintain that love of God. And if you don't know God, come and talk to us. The gospel message is free. We can show you how God saves you. That free, freely given gospel message, we can help you out with that. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Doug taught on chapter, chapter two, verses three through six. John applies the first test. Authentic faith obeys God's commandments. Okay, last week Zion was here. Verses seven to 11, John applied a second test. Authentic faith loves God's people. Okay, so today we resume that with an application of these tests by showing that authentic faith is not of the world, okay? And as a preview of coming attractions for next week, we're going to be on chapter 2, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. It will see what you know and believe about the truth of Jesus Christ. We're going to get to the truth of Jesus Christ, what you know and believe. Pastor Tim, I believe, is going to come next week. Given, uh, unless something occurs, we can't always be sure. But we can, we can make plans, go forward. Read chapter two, verses eighteen to twenty-seven. As you're meditating on loving the world and loving God and what that means—that it passes away, but love of God never passes away. Ponder verses eighteen to twenty-seven of chapter two. Also, be prepared next week as we come to worship together and go. I'll leave you with this: You must choose your love. Then maintain your choice. You love either the world or the Father, but not both. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do. We pray and ask that you just inhabit our heart, that you help us to put a, put aside our attitudes, our worldly attitudes, our desires for satisfaction in anything other than you. You are perfect. You are fantastic. Why would we? ever settle for anything less than perfection that you've given us as your children you love us you love us beyond measure and father you created a way where Jesus could pay the price for our sin and we could have fellowship with you you adopted us into your family and made us your children help us to recognize that and to enjoy and to to revel in the fact that we are your children and that we are loved father I pray that we can recognize this week the worldliness in our life and remove that and that we're gonna replace it with a deeper, more affectionate love for you. And that we are prepared as we come back next week, we're prepared to hear you speak to us directly to our hearts. All these things we pray and ask in your son Jesus, holy and precious name, amen.